Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Good morning. It looks like fall has finally arrived. And that is a really good thing. Hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you this evening at our family reunion. We're going to have a great time together. All you need is a chair, maybe a canopy of some kind. You don't even have to have that. We'll provide the food and the space if you will come. I look forward to some really good fellowship this afternoon. Well, we're in our current series entitled Stewarding or Stewarding Life Faithfully for Christ in a Strange New World. And we're looking at, at how to live our lives in the midst of a culture that is rapidly changing, increasingly hostile, and coming apart. We saw last week, we're looking again this week and uh, asking the question, how do we steward children well in this kind of strange new world that we're living in. So I want you to take your Bibles and look with me today at Mark chapter 10. We'll be returning to verses 13, 14, 15, and 16 as we look at giving our kids a living choice in a dying world. Now, uh, obviously, as I said last week, this would almost immediately sound like, well, if I don't have kids, this is not for me. Part of what we learn and part of what we see in our passage is that concern for kids, whether they be the smallest to uh, teenagers, is the opportunity and the responsibility of all the body of Christ. So whether you have children, whether you uh, plan to have children, whether you work with children, whether you know somebody with children, this message today should give you a clearer perspective of what parenting involves, how you can pray for them, all those kinds of things. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, we have a brief episode in the life of Jesus. And the scripture says, and they, parents, were bringing children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, criticized them, challenged them, essentially. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was angry at the injustice of it. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, let me expand on this, Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them laying his hands on them. So here we have this brief but well-known event known to many of us as the blessing of the children. We've already said, we'll say again this morning, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to be celebrated when he gets there as the great king. Everyone was hoping that he would be the king that, that uh, God had promised in the uh, Old Testament would come and make everything right. So he will enter the city celebrated. He will die just outside the city castigated as a criminal. 
So he's gonna experience a rapid shift. Of course, Jesus knows all of this is happening. He knows all of this is about to happen. He's moving into that situation. As he's going, he's entered into Judea and he's teaching and then traveling and then teaching and then traveling. Thousands of people are following him. Thousands of people are accompanying him. They all have this question on their minds. Is he God's promised king, the one that God said is going to bring in the new kingdom, who's going to restore all things? Is this he? They want to know. And if he is, how do we come to have a place in that kingdom? Those were the big issues. And that's why people were hanging on every word that Jesus was saying. We come to our passage with these thousands following him. He's just finished up a section of teaching and uh, parents immediately began pressing in to bring their children to Jesus. They want him to lay hands on their children and bless them. And the disciples reject them. They rebuke the parents. Jesus rebukes the disciples. And by his words and his deeds in our little passage, he makes two vital points. First, he points out how it is that people come to have a place in his kingdom. And then he makes a point about how children are to be seen and treated and spiritually helped when it comes to him and his kingdom. And because he does that, this passage has massive implications for parents and all of us in the church who share responsibility for stewarding the lives of kids. We said last week there are three implications. Here they are. There is an immense calling that God gives to parents. There are some primary responsibilities that uh, parents have and the church has to kids. And there is a great blessing, thirdly, that can come from parenting if parents and others, in fact, there's a great blessing that comes to those who work with kids if they will seek it. So there's a calling, there's a responsibility, a set of responsibilities, and there is a blessing to be sought, a calling to be answered, responsibilities to be accepted, and blessing to be sought. And every parent is, particularly, I wanna speak to parents this morning, but every parent, has got to face this calling, this response, set of responsibilities and this blessing, and has got to make a decision about it. Not only do you have to make a decision, here's the reality. If you have kids and you're a parent, you're making that decision right now. You're making a decision regarding your calling, your responsibilities, and this blessing. Each of these actually answers or offers to us, points us to three questions and God's answers to those questions. What are parents for? What should parents do? And thirdly, what should parents actually aim for? What are parents for? What are parents to do? And what should parents aim for? And how parents answer these fundamental questions has direct impact on the spiritual well-being and the destinies of their kids. Now, we saw last week that the first issue that we have to be clear on and we will make a decision about is what a parent is for. And that is uh, the ultimate purpose of parenting. And this is modeled for us, look at verse 13, by this urgent desire of these parents to bring their children to Christ, for him to bless them. And so God's purpose we saw last week for parents ultimately is not protection, it's not provision, it's not correction, but it's spiritual formation. It's shepherding those little children's hearts and pointing them constantly with the shepherding to Christ. 
shepherding, forming, shaping their hearts and their minds so that when they think about life, watch this, this is the best way I can put it before we go on to our second point. So that when they think about life, they almost naturally see Christ at the center. They must naturally see Christ at the center. They understand that life is built around him at whatever their level, at a four-year-old level, at a six-year-old level, at a 16-year-old level, that they, when they see life, they, they, they naturally think of Christ as being at the center and being the purpose of life. That's the ultimate calling of God. He says, point to my son, point to my son, point to my son, keep putting Christ at the center of everything that you say and everything that you do, lead your children to Jesus. Well, there is a second, and uh, I want you to see this with me, a second major issue and uh, that parents have to be clear on in order to steward their children well. And it has to do with the responsibilities that parents have as that, that are of first importance. And, and parents have to ask and answer the question, you know, what do parents do? What, what, what do we do first? What do we do foremost? What do we do always? What is God's answer to that question? Well, we get a, a real pointer to that in verses 14 and 15, but what are parents to do? I remember when my kids were young, that this was the hardest question for me to answer. Because the frustrating thing about the Bible is, the Bible does not say, if your kids do A, you do B. Have you ever been in a situation where you say, I wanna be, I wanna be a godly parent, I wanna form and shape my child's hearts and minds. I just wish the Bible would say, if my kid does this, then I should do that. How many of you have ever just wished for that? or said, somebody write a book. All right, chapter four is for four-year-olds. When a four-year-old does this, you do that. I mean, I always, I wanted that. It was the most frustrating thing. I'll never forget one Sunday night. I preached all morning. I had preached that night. I taught. I was tired. And I had my, my two oldest, the third wasn't born yet, in the back seat. And we were driving home. And you know, when you're tired, how much patience do you have? Right. Well, I had resorted to, I don't think this is biblical, but I had resorted to bribery. That if you will just be good on the way home, it's like 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes from the church to our house. And I said, if you would just be good, we will stop at McDonald's, which worked back then. It worked. Now it's Dario's. I, I understand. I understand. I understand. I understand. We'll stop at McDonald's and, and you can have fries and no water, but fries, good fries. If you just be good, and that means being quiet and staying in the back seat so I can navigate this car home without any more excitement. I've had all the excitement I can take. Well, I remember one Sunday night, there came a scream from the backseat and then a um, knockdown drag out. And so my, my seven-year-old and my five-year-old were having at it. And I had that much patience. 
And I wish I knew, you know, what do you do in situations like that? You're tired, you're driving. You know, they tell you, take a moment. Well, there was no moment to take. I was in the middle of a crisis. Somebody was getting killed in the backseat of my car after I had just been preaching about the love of Jesus. Somebody was about to be killed in the front seat of the car as well as the back because it was not going well. And I just wish, well, you, you know, Lord, please tell me, what do I do? So I said, cut it out. I said, what's going on? Well, I got three answers to one question from two kids. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to pull off the side of the road and let them both out. Just head on home. I said, look, all right, you say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry, I'm sorry. Nobody was really sorry. They were just saying it because McDonald's was coming. And then one of them said, yeah, you're sorry. Well, sorry's not enough. I thought that was pretty good, but it was the wrong thing to say that night. Nobody got fries. It was straight to bed, no fries. Did that fix anything? No. They started fighting over who, who was causing the problem and keeping them from getting fries the next Sunday. I, I don't know. I wish, I wish the Bible came with those kind of instructions, point by point directions. But what the Bible does do and what I want to show you today is that it gives us principles to follow and, and responsibilities to keep along the way that are meant to kind of guide us. Now, right here, Jesus directs us, I think, to our first and our most significant duties in relation to our kids. They're responsibilities that Jesus shows not only parents have, but, but he's speaking to the disciples. And so representing us, he's speaking to the whole body of Christ. He's saying, here are the key responsibilities. Here are the most important things you can do for kids. The parents, they've pointed their children to Jesus. They're bringing their children to Jesus. The disciples are prohibiting them from coming. And so Jesus gives the disciples and parents by extension two commands regarding children followed by an explanation as to why they should be kept. Do you see them? He says in verse 14, let the children, first of all, let the children come to me. And then secondly, he says, don't hinder them. And finally, he explains why saying at the end of verse 14, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now look with me, first of all, at these two commands. Of all the things we must do and must never do when it comes to children, these two are of first importance. Look at the positive charge Jesus gives first. He says, let the children come to me. Why? For, such, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. It's significant here to me that Jesus is focusing on the children coming to him rather than the parents bringing the children. He's not saying, let the parents bring the children. They've already brought the children. He's saying, let the children come to me. The parents have done their part, leading them to me. Now, disciples and other followers of Jesus are responsible to join them by letting or permitting the children who will come to Jesus to come. He's essentially saying, open up the way. Open up the way. 
We'll talk about that in a second. The second commandment is related to the first. While the first commandment is let the children come to me or open the way to me, the second commandment mandates don't hinder them or clear the way. And the sum of these two commands to the disciples is basically make a way and get out of the way. Make a way and get out of the way. Let the children be free. Give them every opportunity to come to me. And so after a parent has answered the call to live, bringing and pointing their, uh, his or her child to Christ, what remains is to open the way and stay out of the way. Now, what does that involve? What does that involve? According to the New Testament, there's really only one answer to this. It's the same answer for giving anyone of any age the freedom to come to Jesus. To provide the freedom to go to Jesus as king and to enter his kingdom with his salvation. Kids as well as adults have to have, now parents, I want you to listen. I want you to listen carefully. Your children have to have a clear and a reinforced understanding of how to get to Jesus and what getting to him requires. Two things, your child absolutely needs to not know about, but to know. And that is how to get to Jesus and what getting to Jesus actually requires. Two things, and this is right at the heart of every parent's uh, chief responsibility. And what this means is that for parents, and listen, 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 for teachers, for, for life group leaders, for anybody who works with students or kids uh, through the body of Christ, this means that the first and, and great responsibility when it comes to opening the way and getting out of the way are both tied now, please stay with me here. I gotta walk you through this. I gotta work you through this. And I need, I need, I need, I need for you to listen carefully. These things, opening the way and getting out of the way are both tied to the gospel of Jesus. The only way anyone ultimately finds their way to Christ as the king who saves is by way of the gospel, by way of the gospel story, its announcement, and its call. Why? Because Paul says the gospel is the only power of God unto salvation. It is the only means by which anyone can find their way to Christ, find their way to his gift of forgiveness and find their way to new life in him. There's something more here for believing parents to understand and apply. And this means, and I want you to hear me because out of my, my experience, both as a, as a parent and as a pastor, I find we fail right here again and again and again and again. No child can, by themselves, find their way to Jesus without a gospel map. I don't know how it has happened, but even in evangelical churches, we have, uh, we have announced the gospel to our kids, but we've never given our kids a gospel map. I don't know how to say this. We've never given our kids a gospel app for the smartphone of their minds and their hearts. 
We've not given them the app. If they don't have the app, they're never going to get to Jesus. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked with adults and with children who were raised in the church of Jesus Christ, Bible believing, Bible practicing, all that kind of thing. And I ask them, what is the gospel? They cannot tell me. I ask, how can a person be saved? And all they can say is invite Jesus into my what does that mean? I don't really know. It just means you believe. Believe what? That you have to invite Jesus into your heart. Do you see a problem with that? Almost never do they mention sin as a problem. Almost never. don't have a concept of sin. Now look, 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 listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you don't know what sin is or that sin is a problem, you will never need a savior. You wanna be baptized because everybody else is being baptized. but you will never go to Jesus with your hands open, your heart open, saying, help me. I've had long conversations with my granddaughter about this and she always starts off, well, I don't sin. <laughs> I don't know how many times we've had this conversation. She's starting to get it now. The last time I talked to her, she actually admitted she has sinned, which I think is tremendous because she's a sinner and uh, I'm not pretending like she's perfect because she's not, but I finally am getting her to admit that, yeah, I, I messed up. And now she can begin to tell me how. And that just means that her heart is readier and readier and readier for a savior. The real reason we love Jesus is because he first loved us, right? And watch now. The way we know he loves us is by the way he died for us. And the reason he died for us and what that accomplished. So we've got to give our kids a gospel map, give them a gospel app, if you will. This is the critical responsibility of every believing parent to expose their children again and again and again to the gospel story, its announcement and its call until, now listen, until they know them, understand them and can in their own way explain them. If they can't explain the gospel, they don't understand the gospel. They will shake their head when you say Jesus died for our sins. But if they cannot tell you why he died or why that matters, something's still missing. It's once, 
they know and understand it and can explain it to the best of their ability that they, 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 can, they will be ready and able to go to the king and receive the forgiveness and the new life that he offers. Now, I want to tell you this. The church can help. We can help with this. But the church is only secondary when it comes to gospel exposure. Parents are primary. Parents are primary. We're secondary. Parents are primary. Now, I'm grateful. I, I was raised in a church that, that taught and shared the gospel. Part of my own testimony is as a little five-year-old boy, I had a teacher who refused to let me go into her class or get out of her class without sharing the gospel with me one way or another. She was sharing the gospel and explaining it to me every time I went to church. It was over and over and over and over again. If you had asked me if I could uh, explain it, I probably could have done a little bit, but it did not penetrate my heart until one final Sunday when all the pieces, as far as pieces can come together for a five-year-old kid, all the pieces finally came together and God got a hold of my heart, transformed my life at five years old. I could not explain to you eschatology, but I could explain to you this, that Jesus died for my sins and that he loved me. And if he loved me enough, my mind was, if he loved me enough to die for me, the only thing I could do was love him back. And the way I could do that I knew was by giving my life back to Jesus. She had given me along with my parents the gospel map and a gospel app so that when Jesus finally showed up and offered himself to me, I was ready to say, yes, I knew the way. I knew the way. And it was real and it was living for me. He met me and I met him. I didn't do it for anybody else. I did it because of him. And I was just five years old. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen till you're eight or till you're 18, but it needs to happen. And when Jesus shows up in a young person's life, they've got to have the map in place. There is no greater gift, no higher responsibility than this one. If they don't have Jesus, what do they have? So what exactly do kids need to understand? Well, when it comes to the gospel story, they need to understand the four chapters. I want to ask you, do you understand the four chapters? Chapter one, God and the story of creation that ultimately answers the, the questions that kids have. What am I? Chapter two, humanity and the, and the story of the fall, which explains why we're all broken and not what we should be. And I'm telling you, early, early, early in your child's life, they're gonna discover something they can't do, something they have done that bothers them. And your best answer is the fall. Your best answer is our world is broken. You're broken, mommy's broken, daddy's really broken. However you wanna put it, you decided your house. But we're all broken 
And this is just part of our brokenness. When they want to know what's gone wrong with the world and why some people don't treat them well, you can always point them to chapter two of a gospel story and say, this is why. God made us this way in chapter one. Something happened in chapter two, which is why chapter three, we need the story of Jesus and his cross, the story of Jesus and his redemption. That's why we have uh, confidence. That's why we have a hope. That's, that's, that's why we're able to live uh, strong in this broken world is we know who can save us. We know what we should live for and what we should love, something bigger, greater than ourselves, and it's Jesus. And so you can see how you just keep pointing. You say, well, my kid's already a believer. Keep doing this. This is where you ground them in the truth as it is in Jesus. Keep bringing them again and again and again. This is your Key responsibility. And I will say, even if your, 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 your kid is now 50 years old, what they ultimately need to hear from you, yes, your impact is reduced, your influence is still there, your impact is greatly reduced. It's not like you could, the impact you had when they were five, but still find a way. Point them to those four basic, well, what's the fourth one? Chapter four, of course, is restoration. One day, everything that's broken is gonna be made whole again. Jesus who saves is going to save to the uttermost. He's already, he, he died on the cross for sinners. He's gone back to be with the father. One day he's coming again and all wrongs will be made right. And this broken world of ours will be healed. There's hope. There's always hope. Why? Because there's always Jesus. The resurrection is ultimately about hope. He, he defeated death. He's coming again. We have hope. The great need of our, of our day is for hope. But if your, your kids don't know the story, they don't know the chapters, if they can't figure out how the chapters fit together, they're going to look for hope in other places that will fail them every single time. Um, let me see those. Thank you, sir. Some of you say, you know what? I was never taught that. One of the best introductions to just the gospel as story, as announcement, as call, it can be found in, and one of the best corrections can be found in this book. I say, I wish I had time. I, I only get you for an hour and every Sunday. But one of the Best, best books for, for moms and dads and uh, even for uh, older teens that I know anything about is this book by Trevin Wax, uh, works for Southern Baptist um, Lifeway and so forth. Um, Counterfeit Gospels unpacks this whole concept in, in as clear a fashion as I have ever seen. So mom and dad, look, look, look. It's gonna be really hard for you to pass this on to your kids if it's fuzzy for you. If you're a grandparent, I, I'm gonna say, you need to take and make the most of every opportunity you have with your grandkids, but you have got to be well apprised yourself in the story, the announcement and the call. And uh, this is a great place to start. And it also corrects some false gospels, which is why he calls his book, The Counterfeit 
counterfeit gospels. So I recommend that to you. I think we've got copies of this in the, in the bookstore, but you can get it at Amazon. It can be here by Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, for little, little ones, I love this. This has engendered more conversations with my granddaughter and my grandsons than any other book that I've read to them. I know this is by the bedside of, I think, all my grandkids now, and it is part of their routine. I have not seen a book, and I think I can't see the ages because, see, I'm 61, and I'm there, they're on there. I just can't tell you what they are. But it's like four and, and older um, I have never seen just take the biblical stories and then attach them or direct ultimately to Christ and the gospel like this does and kind of ties everything up. So if you've got younger, younger kids, this is a great, great resource for you. And by the way, with our kids, our, our younger kids, uh, we offer Faith Steps, which is a class for both parents and kids. If you also want to get, I think this is up to fifth grade, Adam, fourth grade, fifth grade. Yes. I'll take all, that's all the grades I just said. Okay. A phenomenal opportunity, both for parents and for kids. And so, sir, uh, since you're so strategically located, I'm going to hand these to you and just hold on to them. Don't take them. Just... <laughs> Hold on to them. Thank you. That's the gospel story. When it comes to the gospel announcement, kids need to understand two things. They need to understand the bad news and the good news. The bad news is what makes the good news good. The good news is what makes the bad news bearable. And your kids need to understand both the good news and the bad news. The bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, haven't lived up to what God deserves from us. And the good news, of course, is that God sent his son to live a sinless life, die a substitutionary death, and rise from the dead, all for sinners, so that they could be forgiven, given a new life like Christ, and might have eternal life. That is the gospel announcement. Basically, your kids need to get past, invite Jesus into your heart. They may not be able to get it perfectly, but they need to have a sense of what the bad news is, what the good news is, and what Jesus has done. And the older they get, the more they should understand. I cannot tell you how important it is for you and I as adults to be able to, to speak the gospel announcement. Do you have a version of it right now? If I were to ask you to stand, do you have a version of it right now you could stand and you could share? If not, I'm, I'm not beating you up for that. I'm just saying you need to get a version. You can have my version. I'm glad for you to have my version. You can, you can, it's, it's God's version. You can say it in a little different ways, still include all the stuff that matters but you've got to have some version. For the sake of your child, you've got to have some version. For the sake of the lost people around you, you've got to have a version. You've got to be able to share the announcement. After the announcement then comes an invitation or a gospel invitation. 
Kids need ultimately to understand that the gospel announcement always comes with a personal invitation from God himself. The invitation is not, please let me come into your heart. Hey, by the way, that's Ephesians 3.17 and it's a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. That was written to believers and not written to unbelievers. So uh, look at that sometime. But the invitation is the same invitation we all get. Own your sin, own your selfishness and turn away from them. Repent. Confess, to put it as simply as I can say, confess and be sorry. (laughs) I keep hearing my daughter say, sorry is not enough. It is when Jesus has died for you. Own your sin and your selfishness. Sin has a big eye in the middle of it. Trust Jesus, secondly, in his cross death for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of new life. Believe that he died for you personally and that he lives. And thirdly, surrender to Jesus as king over life so that you can say, Jesus is king and I am not. Or Jesus, I like this for younger kids, Jesus is the boss of me. Jesus is the boss of me. Who's the boss in your family? Jesus, who represents the boss, mom and dad, or mom or dad, or however it works in your family. Own your sin, trust Jesus in his death, surrender to him as king. What does a person have to do to find their way to Jesus? They have to respond to the gospel story and the gospel announcement and the gospel call by doing those three things. So along with pointing the way to Jesus in the course of life as the source of life, exposing kids to these three essential parts of the gospel map is what can be used by the spirit of God to draw boys and girls to real living faith in Jesus. And this is how we make a way for Jesus to come. Now quickly, don't forget, that your other chief responsibility is clearing the way to Jesus. And this means removing every obstacle and hindrance to your kid's understanding of the story, the hearing, the announcement, and answering the gospel invitation and then applying it to life. And this is perhaps the single greatest challenge American believing parents face. All right, here it comes. This is the hard part of the message. For so many of us, the drive to see our kids excel in so many other things other than in the things of Jesus actually serves to train their hearts and minds away from Christ and train their hearts and minds to look for life elsewhere, to try to find salvation in other things, to see other things as saviors that are just false saviors. 
There's nothing wrong with emphasizing and encouraging grades and sports and music and likability and travel and hobbies and recreation until these things become substitutes for Christ, until you're so busy doing them that you don't get a chance to expose them to the Jesus of the New Testament and the gospel when you don't have time and they don't have time for you to guide them to the truth as it is in Jesus when you don't have time and they don't have time because they're always here, there, and everywhere. I talked with a, with a dad this week. He's got his son in four different sports right now. I was tired just listening to him. I said, and scuba diving too? Oh, he says, just once a month. But these things ultimately can become substitutes for Christ. What you invest in, parents, your child will exult in. What you keep giving them to do, what you will, will seem to them like a reward, and whatever you reward will be repeated. And I'm afraid that we're giving our children a lot of substitute saviors. We're so busy doing other things that we rarely, if ever, get around to the people of God, the church of God, the truth of God as it is in Jesus. And I've got to ask the question, which of these things is actually going to secure your child's eternal destiny? Which of these things you're doing right now is actually going to help them go through cancer with hope and confidence? Which of these things that you're investing so much time in is going to give them a solid, secure marriage and is going to allow them to withstand all the stresses and pressures of life? So clear the way for your kids. Listen for and, and, and confront false ideas that come to their attention and discourage every idol and false savior that would seek to claim their affections. You can love good things so much that they become saviors for you. The point of your existence, the reason you get up in the morning Watch for any poor example or habit or practice that rises up in your own life that would keep your child from seeing and knowing Christ as they should. Beware of that chronic busyness and those celebrated obsessions that keep your kids from actually knowing and loving Christ and the things of Christ and the people of Christ. You see, in verses 14 to 15, Jesus gives an explanation. He says, if you're not open like a child and humble like a child and capable of trust like a child, with a, with a radical sense of dependence like a child and personal weakness, you'll never come to me. So you've got to be like a child. And what I would say to parents is, look, the younger your kid is right now, the younger your child is, the more open, the more humble, the readier they will be to hear and receive the Christ of the gospel. 
I don't care if right now they're 16 or they're six. Right now they are readier than they will probably ever be. It's people like the children who find it easiest to find the king. Broad is the way to destruction, narrow is the way to life, Jesus said. So finally, I'm, I'm, I'm imploring you, see and own this calling of God. See and own these responsibilities of God. Whatever else you do or you don't do, mom and dad, life group leaders, here is your responsibility. Open the way. Give them the gospel, the story, the announcement, and the calling again and again and again. And then clear the way so that when the call comes and they hear it, they're ready. Give them a living choice in a dying world. Do you see verse 16? I love verse 16. What should every parent actually be aiming for? Verse 16. This is one of the tenderest moments in all of the New Testament. Here we see every parent's ultimate goal. It's beautiful to me how Jesus in verse 16 models everything he just commanded in 14 and 15. Having told the disciples to let the children come, he welcomes them. Having told the disciples not to prevent them from coming, he makes himself wholly available to them. He takes them in his arms, Mark says, and uh, places his hands on them, blesses them. And the picture is powerful. Placing them in his arms describes Jesus embracing them and showing authentic care and affection. And the message is unmistakable. You're loved. Just as you are, you're loved. Right here with me, you're loved. And by placing his hands on them, Jesus is saying, what I have with me, I, I give to you. True prosperity in life, the ability to grow and thrive in it, God's way. I came that they might have a life and might have it to the full. I remember Jesus saying, with me, you have the opportunity to live out your God-given potential. And I've got to say to you, verse 16 ultimately is every parent's dream. These children are by themselves, empty and hopeless, with no wealth, power, or position to succeed in this world or to succeed in the world that is to come. What they need, Jesus has and Jesus is. And so our story closes with these children being sent to the right place, blessed by the right person. And we see here in verse 16, the reason for the cross put on full display. We see in flesh what it means to say, for God so loved the world. Here is Jesus, the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father representing the Father, showing us 
what this good, merciful, faithful father always does with vulnerable, powerless, needy people. When they come to him, this is what he does. In Jesus, the son made man, God does in verse 16 what God has never done before. God in the flesh takes real human arms and gathers up those little children and embraces them. That had never happened before. God is spirit. It struck me as I was reading this passage in verse 16. This has to be the greatest blessing a parent can have. To see the lives of sons and daughters taken up by Christ. To see their lives resting in him. To see their lives being blessed by him. Isn't this really what every healthy parent wants for their children? To know love and care and blessing are theirs, not just now, but for all eternity. To see our children safe in the arms of Jesus. He is the only safe place. Now what our kids ultimately do with Jesus is up to them. And there are people in this room right now who have got children who have rejected Christ. And I understand that. To those parents this morning, right now, I simply want to say this. For you and for me, many things are impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. You still have your call. You still have your responsibility. And you still have this goal. So pray. Bombard heaven with the request that one day you will see that son, that daughter, safely resting in the arms of Jesus. There is no greater work you will ever do than this.
Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to uh, invite you If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, you lead a small group of students, you, you lead a small group of kids, you're a grandparent. Somehow, someway, you're an uncle, you're an aunt, and God's given you a, an, an unusual relationship with a niece or a nephew. I don't know. Many, many of us in this room have got relationships with kids we haven't given a great deal of thought about. And yet they're in our lives for a reason. They're in our lives for a season. And we're called to make the most of them. So with your head bowed and your, and your heart and your mind fixed on that boy, that girl, those children, some grown, some not. I'm asking you, if you're a follower of Jesus, will you today accept afresh the call of God to use whatever impact you have and whatever influence you have for the intentional spiritual formation of those children, that child. Will you answer that call today? Will you take up, secondly, and accept the responsibility God gives? Not just to parents, but to the whole body of Christ. To open the way for boys and girls to find Christ. To open the way with the gospel. And to get out of the way or to remove whatever it is that could hinder your son, your daughter, your children, your grandchildren from finding their way to Jesus. What would your child say if you were to ask them to finish the sentence, life is blank? If the answer is soccer or swimming, or TikTok, you know you're in trouble. If it's being liked, having money, being famous, you know something's off. You're calling, you're high calling, your responsibility is to encourage them, point them with the gospel to Jesus. Finally, at the end of the day, we all need to know where we're going and where we want to be heading. Are you willing today to receive as your goal in the life of that child, those children, those students, seeing them Resting safely in the arms of Jesus. Tell him.
ask for his help. But tell him, Lord God, I want to see. I want to see my children, my grandchildren resting safely in the arms of Jesus. Lord God, this is a uh, sacred moment. I pray, Father, that you would impress upon our hearts indelibly from this point forward the urgency of eternity, the brevity of life, and the great need our children have for a map that is gospel marked, cross marked. Give us a burden that will not let us go. Keep us pressing forward as a church and as individuals with the aim, the ambition of seeing boys and girls find their way to Jesus. For Jesus' sake. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.